today we're talking about money. Cash, dinero, wad, cha-ching. Filthy lucre. Filthy lucre? Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Welcome to Karina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Karina Hoyer. And I'm Kirsten Barron. And we can't stand it. We are so happy you're here. We love you. We love that you work. We love that you're listening. We want you to enjoy your work, enjoy this podcast, have a fulfilling time while you're making your money. And today we're going to talk about really what people do with their money, how they manage it, and how they think about it, which is fascinating, don't you think, Kirsten? I do. Money, money, money. One of my favorite topics. Money, money, money. Okay, here's the deal. We were talking about money. Mm-hmm. You and I talk about all kinds of things. We were talking about money. Maybe we were having some cocktails. I can't remember. And we can't got into this that. conversation about our different philosophies about money, which frankly was a mind blower for me. Mm-hmm. I th- contemplate how people see the world all the time. I think about how I see the world all the time. I had never thought about money in that way. And yet here we are working, making money, hopefully, Mm -hmm. and making decisions about how we're going to treat it, the value we give it, right? How we're going to engage. So let's hear, tell me, Kirsten, what do you have to say about that? (laughs) (laughs) So it was interesting for, because you and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum, which is, you know, sometimes happens, but it's a bit of a rarity. And you do. I mean, I think you're very thoughtful about relationships with people and how you spend your time with your family and how you take care of yourself and how you nurture friends and how, what are your values in the workplace? And when we had the conversation about money, we were like, huh, I never thought about that before. Uh And for me... I spent a lot of time thinking about money. And I... There's a recent story in the news about money and There's women. a very recent story in the news about money, which I was super excited to hear. And we're going to go off on a tiny tangent on this one, I think. The news this week is that the U.S. women's soccer team has filed an equal pay action against the U.S. Soccer Federation. Yeah, what is that? What's this Super exciting. Can you, yeah, explain. Super exciting. So I first have to say why I care so much is that in 2015, I was at BC Place in Vancouver, Canada, watching the women's U.S. soccer team win the World Cup. And it was the most glorious game, sports event, match, event, anything I've ever seen. It was the most fun I've ever had in my life at a sports event. And I have three children who've played hundreds of soccer games. Yeah. Six years old soccer games. You've watched a lot I've of sports. I've watched a lot of soccer. They play college soccer. I've watched a ton of sports. We love sports right. in our sports house. Sports is not But this time. was the get, epicenter yeah. of my sports experience. Yeah. And so I just love these women. They're heroic. They're successful. They're tenacious. And the thing that I love the most about this team is they're really involved in the community lifting women up. Yeah. They really see themselves as role models, which just wins my heart because there's so many people that will look up to them and that they will like influence and guide and talk about what's possible. So this lawsuit is particularly exciting because what they're saying is, dudes, you need to pay us and treat us the way the guys get treated. Yeah. So they make far less money, even though they're way more successful. Even their working conditions, like they play on turf and the guys get to play on grass, which is much easier on their bodies. Their travel experiences are different. It's like shocking to me. And the women have kept asking the U.S. Soccer Federation to equalize this so that there is equal pay for the equal jobs, you know? Yeah. 
And they've not responded. So now they've gone to court, which I'm super excited about. Yeah. Go, ladies, go. go. Ladies, go. I'm super excited for them, and I cannot wait to hear the outcome of this. And speaking of role models, absolutely. Standing up and demanding equal pay for equal work Mm -hmm. is precisely what we want to see and what it looks like when you are lifting each other up and demanding to be an equal in this treated fairly equitably equally all of those words absolutely Mm -hmm. and so when women do make money when women do have money you know that's transitioning into our subject for the day we make a lot of choices about it what's that statistic like women make 80 percent of the financial decisions for their household that's very close 80 percent of households have a woman who makes the majority of the financial decisions. So it's pretty close. That's the kind of the same kind of a, of a yeah. statistics. But women are making most of the financial decisions. And what's really, I think, fascinating is, and I don't think I'm wrong about this, I feel like society thinks that women aren't good with money, that we don't make decisions, that we don't invest wisely, that we don't save. All I mean, maybe, what do you think? I do think there is some, yeah, well, yeah, I'm bad, I'm bad at math. Yeah, I'm bad at math. Right? I think there's this perception that if you're managing money, in order to manage money and manage money wisely, A, you have to be Be the earner. You have Mm -hmm. to be good at math. Mm -hmm. You have to have a penis. And... And you, you know, like, yeah, the sort of the classic ditzy blonde is not going to manage her money well. And in fact... Women are probably perceived as spending money on frivolous Frivolous things things. more, buying more clothes and whatever, makeup and shopping and going to the spa with their friends. So do you have some statistics? I do have some, because you know I love stats. I'm a stats geek. But here's what I also want. So first of all, we start from this place where women make 78 cents to every dollar. So we already make about 20. Yeah, by the way, it's it's 2019. Is that what I say? No, I'm saying that's 2019. Oh, it's 2019. Yeah. yeah, what the hell? Yeah. Why is it still 78 cents, and why haven't we made progress? You know, we talk about the number of women graduating from college being at almost 60%. It's like 57 or 58%. Yeah. And still we're making 78 cents to every dollar. Yeah, just yeah. sorry. I had to punctuate that. Sorry. Thank you. I just was on my, I was on my stat track. I know. Sorry. <laughs> so the <laughs> stat track. So knock. back there. Don't knock me off my stat track. So we're back on to stats. So we got that. 78 cents sure. to every dollar. Yep. Okay. And then also, I want to remind everybody about the pink tax. Oh, my. Yes. Don't forget about the pink tax. When uh-huh. you buy a pink razor, it costs more than the blue razor. When you, yep. Yep. When you buy anything pink or anything for women, it is more expensive than either the male or the unisex thing. Yep. And anything. Ch- anything. Check out Trevor Noah's show. He's got a great little clip on that, which I just love. Okay. So women... We start. We say it start out with about twenty percent less money. So fifty one percent of female respondents in a Credit Karma study or survey said that they feel that their incomes are low or somewhat low. Okay. Okay. So only thirty one percent of men mm-hmm. feel like their incomes. Well, sure, because we're not because they're making more they're making money. Making more money. Twenty eight percent of women believe they will have enough money to retire comfortably. Compared to 53% of men. Okay. Uh-huh. Again, sure. We're not making the dough. But there's this investment component in there, which I want to talk about later, okay. right? Because retirement talks about, that speaks to investment. So here's the stat that just makes me want to, just makes me want to cry, honestly. Twice as many women as men, 38% of women, 
have less than $400 in their savings account. I just, my heart breaks for I those know. women. Half that, 17% of men have half that, have, have okay. half heart, that amount. Have my heart breaks for those men, too. It does, too. That's... So 18% of women have $50,000 or more in total savings. Twice as many, almost 40% of men have $50,000 or more savings. So again, twice as many women have mm-hmm. less, have under have $400 less. in checking, mm-hmm. and twice as many men have, have more than 50. Significantly more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Right. And here's the other thing that's a killer. 49% of women have $100 of discretionary income a month. That's 50% of women, half mm-hmm. of us, mm-hmm. half, of, half us. of us. One in three men has $900 of discretionary income, 33% of men. I know there's an investment component in there. Sometimes they get lost in stats, so I'm just, I have to interpret it a little bit. But I also know that one of the things that you'd said earlier, I think it was on a season one show about get what you want. We're talking about mm-hmm. raises. Some of this is, it's not that we're making 78 cents on the dollar. We're doing that day after, hour after hour, hour year day, after yep. year. Mm-hmm. Decade after decade, and that compounds. So it's not like, oh, he makes you know hundred thousand a year, and I make seventy eight thousand a year. It's like that, but over four years, that's another hundred thousand dollars in your savings account. And then if you start investing that, the return is even you know Greater. significantly different. Okay, for each investor. Okay, give me hit me. So with just one. here's my great stat on that. I read that the wage difference over a woman's lifetime is almost a half million dollars. Compared to a man. Yeah. Right. The wage difference, yeah, is a is like And it's not like, oh, well, the guys need to make that because they're the breadwinner. Mm-mm. No. It's we're doing that. Like right work. now, the, right now, regardless of who is the breadwinner, it is about the work, not the bread. And right now there are more women-led households than there are men anyway. So that argument about you have to give the man more money because he has to take care of kids. No, sister. The sisters are taking care of the kids, oftentimes in single parent households. Right. So they actually are more of the households now. So that argument is bust. Yeah. It's, it's bust. I know. It's crazy. It's okay. So do can we I talk more? about investing? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. I love this. Okay. So we talked in the beginning about the bias that people have about women and investing. They're not very good at it. Here's the crazy thing. Women are far less likely to invest in the stock market or to make any investments really. And there's some kind of thought that that might be about risk tolerance. Okay. And there's also a thought that it might be about how much education they have, in financial education. Okay. How much financial, how much education you have about the financial market you're getting into. All that aside, when women do invest, mm-hmm. they actually earn a percentage point more than men. So they do better. They do better. When they actually invest, they do better. And the cost of women not investing average over a lifetime consider they make a half a million dollars less, right? Yeah. But when you talk about the failure to invest, it's a million dollars. So now we know why women, so many women, are not confident about their ability to retire. Right. Because they're making significantly less over their lifetime and they're not investing and for a variety Mm -hmm. of reasons. I'm a perfect example of that. You are. You know, I have, I do, I do have a savings account. My family and I have a savings account, but I've never invested beyond savings. And it's to some degree, it's because I'm risk averse. And it's also because I don't have the education, like you Mm -hmm. said, or a role model that can sort of take me under their wing and help me understand until today, because I'm looking at you. We're going to sit down and start investing and we're some talk money. About money, sister. Yeah, but it is interesting and it's scary. Okay, so here we are. We're women. We're in the workforce. We're bringing in the dough. We're making decisions every day about how we're going to spend it, how we're going to invest it, what we're going to do. And we also, though, look at money 
through several different lenses. And this is what I kind of alluded to, or maybe said directly in the beginning of the show. That is this revolutionary idea that people's philosophy about money is varied, that we don't all think about money the same way. So I want you, now that we've talked and thought about this and you've had this little revelation, how would you articulate that you think about money? This is a hard one. You asked me this question when we were preparing for the show, and I looked at you blankly like I frequently do and thought, what is she talking about? I don't even... (laughs) Wait. (laughs) That says more about me than you, by the way. (laughs) There's never anything blank about you. What the hell is she talking about? I have no idea. No, you asked me these questions about money. I'm like, what do you mean, how do I think about it? I think about it as a tool that comes in, goes to my bank account. I squirrel away as much as I possibly can. Isn't that what we all think? I couldn't answer. I was headset at heart. Okay, I'm going to just stop for a moment and comment on that. We squirrel away as much as we can. Isn't that how we all do it? And the answer, obviously, from those statistics is no. Is no. So your actual behavior in saving money, even though you don't, quote, unquote, invest it, you just put it in a savings account, is very unusual. Right. And what's so funny is the answer, no, that's not how everybody does it. No, people don't do it that way. I don't, I'm almost 50 years old and I'm still shocked that not everybody's behavior is the same in this world. That's I know. why I like to start with the stats, Karina, because I like to ground us in what's going on for people so that we know we're not alone, or maybe we are alone and we know that and we can question why we're alone. Is that good? Is it great? Is it bad? Is it should be reconsidered, right? Yeah. yeah. That's why I love the stats because they kind of ground us in what folks are doing. Yeah. They definitely give context mm-hmm. to the conversation. And so when you ask me, what did you ask me? What do I? What's your philosophy, your money philosophy? And you said, I just save as much as I can. Isn't yeah. that what everybody does? Isn't that what everybody does? And I thought, is there even, wait, what? Philosophy? And I had to go home <laughs> and Google it. And I started Googling money philosophy, financial philosophy, this, that, and the other. And I finally landed on an article that referenced your money script. And apparently, financial advisors use this a lot. They try to determine what your money script is, which, you know, Right. We're using synonymously, I think, with the word philosophy. And so I started to read the various money scripts that people have. And I will tell you what mine is in a minute. But I also found on your mental wealth dot Mm -hmm. something, something, just I don't even know, look it up, that money scripts are learned in childhood, often just partial truths, passed down from generation to generation, and they are responsible for our financial outcomes they are typically unconscious. See, let me off the hook. Yes, I'll totally let you off that they're unconscious. <laughs> and it's moneywealthadvisors.com. Moneywealthadvisors.com. Yeah, thank great you, thank article. you, thank you. Okay, so all the way at the bottom there is a – they give four categories. And one is money avoidance, money worship, money status, and money vigilance. And I'm going to say I'm money vigilance. Give us a little summary of each one of those. Give us like a two or a three-word you know, or maybe a sentence or two about each one of those. Uh, money avoidance. I'm trying to find myself. People are frequently wealthier, wiser, and more highly educated. Okay, that's not me. They believe, may believe wealthy people are greedy or corrupt, and they give a fair bit of their money away. Money um, avoiders, okay. Money avoiders. avoiders. Money worship believe that the key to happiness and the solution to their problems is to have more money. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if like money avoidance, their tagline would be money is the root of all evil. But Where, it's interesting because it sounds like they have money, so they don't have to worry about it. They do, yeah. Right? So that kind exactly. of, I'm suspicious of that. Just like the people who worship money, I'm like, money is a great, great thing to talk about. And, you know, it gives you a lot of freedom and has a lot of 
gives you the ability to make choices and to have security. I mean, I get all that, but we know there's lots and lots of things that money can't buy. Correct. Correct. Right. And money status, they tend to think their self-worth is, is tied to their, to their net money. worth. That's fascinating. Yeah. Which it is, you know, I think it money worship and money status is there's some nuances there. And I encourage everyone to just jump online. You can find this information. These four money scripts are pretty ubiquitous. I found them on a variety of different sites. I like to throw big words around like ubiquitous. That's a nice word, Karina. Don't you like I it? I love the word ubiquitous. And the fact that I got Should it. Should we out- try and spell it? No, no. Don't do that. Oh, that my God. Too much time. No. Go. I'm the worst yeah. speller. I learned phonics. It just didn't help me in the spelling category. Did I ever tell you my mom when the spelling bee? Do I say this like six times? Your mom. Super stressed out about spelling. Clearly you worship your mother. And no, I'm stressed out about spelling. Her editorial and her spelling. <laughs> She, I don't even know her name, but I know she was a red pen wielding. And what's number four of our money scripts? Money script is me. Money vigilant. Money vigilant. Alert, watchful, and concerned about their financial health. And basically, they have a tendency to be somewhat anxious about their financial which you, futures. Which you say. Which I am. You admit that you're yeah. financially. Which, which is inspires them to save, right? So we're the squirrelers. We're hiding the nut. But it's interesting, your anxiety I find it so, so fascinating because it's your emotions are not consistent with your data and your experience. Correct. Because so often that is right. the case. Isn't that the case? <laughs> like, And that's kind of the point of this show is to figure out what is your experience and what is your emotional content around it? Because, Krina, you have a beautiful home. You have you know, cars to drive, a beautiful garden. You have everything in your house is beautiful. You go on trips, you camp, you bike, your kids ski, your kids play sports, you do all kinds of things, right? Right. You have a great savings, yet you still have anxiety. Right. So my behavior and my money script, like they say, they don't make sense. It's frequently Mm -hmm. unconscious and, you know, it's only partial truth about money. The key to this, though, is when to know what your money script is, you can start to look at a ways that it's working for you exactly and how ways is it working that it's not and for me oh, and the rest of the listeners who are money vigilant you know the tips are don't weigh money's value so high that you're not taking advantage that you're not using it you know that you're not having some fun yeah you're don't, not enjoying yeah life. exactly don't be the person who's you know burying the jars of money in mm-hmm. your backyard why don't you go on a vacation instead so what about you where are you on this whole trip? so i see myself in a couple of those like uh-huh. many of these things when they say here are the categories i find that like lots of folks i fall into a couple of things sure. right so there's definitely some money avoidance in me and i certainly used to think and I think a little bit now, but not as much, that wealthy people are corrupt or bad. And there's no question I used to think about that. I don't anymore, really, because I just have met more people in my life and mm-hmm. I have different experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to equate my monetary decisions with my values. I've probably said this on the show before, and I'm sure I'll say it 50 more times because it's like my mantra. Tell me how you spend your time and your money, and I can tell you what you care about. I don't care what comes out of your mouth. I don't care what you say. Tell me how you spend your time and your money, and I can tell you what you care about. Sure. And so for me, that's my money philosophy. When I spend money, I'm really clear about what I'm valuing. Mm -hmm. Like, how am I spending this money, and do I value this? And I will be candid. Sometimes I am very frivolous because I value a good time. Like when my kids were young and I was not making very much money, every Friday night we would go to the Y and swim. We would go out for pizza and we would rent a movie and go home and watch a movie. We did this for years. And if it was my last 20 bucks, 
I spent it. Mm-hmm. And my aunt, Joanne, used to always talk about my cousin Paula. She'd spend her last $20 because she smoked and drank a lot. I was going to say, she, her her just, just wanted to ask me. Yeah, okay, she's good. passed away, so it's okay. <laughs> she'd spend her last $20 on some flowers and a cheap bottle of wine. And it's true. She, my cousin Paula would spend her last 20 bucks, but she did it with joy. That's what she, yeah. And it made her happy. Yeah. Right? So she wasn't like, oh, my God, I spent that $20. I feel bad. Yeah. She felt good. But that can also go off the deep end, mm-hmm. off the rails, off the whatever. Come on. Yeah, for sure. You what can else? Always... What other what are we going off of here? So here is the thing, too. Along with the values, I think, and I didn't really realize this until I, like you, was doing some work around this and figuring out why women do this with their money. Mm-hmm. And one of the theories is they don't put themselves first. Uh-huh. So men save more money because they put themselves first. Right. Like when you save money, you're putting you and your family first. Correct. And I think that I came to this later in my life, but- when I save money or put money away, and I have to create a strategy to get it out of my hot hands. Uh-huh. Like I have an automatic deduction. For savings. For savings because I'm not like you. I can't transfer the money from my checking account into my savings account. I'm like, oh, no, it's time to have fun. Uh-huh. But if I take it away from myself, <laughs> and I will not go into the account because that's irresponsible. Right. And so here, but do you hear what I've I've just created the story? Yeah. If I take this money out, I'm irresponsible, and that story works for me. If you take money out of savings, you're irresponsible. Mm-hmm. But if you spend it while it's still in checking, oh, I'm fine. You're I'm fine. Supporting your values, I'm, and I'm having a great time. And you're having a great time. I'm having a having great, a good time doing time, it. Right, and I think that can also go off the rails as I was trying to riff earlier. With, you know, if you don't have the automated systems to save money, if you don't have the automated systems to invest, and somebody who is very comfortable spending, clearly we can see how that could go wrong as well. Absolutely. But there's a piece in here that I don't want people to feel judgment around. It's like if you're making $14, $15, $16, $17 an hour, it is very difficult to save money. Mm-hmm. So there's a piece of this that is not about judgment, but reality. Mm-hmm. But once you get over that place that you can meet your basic needs, that's when I think what you're talking about is, what am I really doing with this and what am I really valuing? Am I valuing my future security, my ability to retire in comfort, my ability to know that if I need $1,000 to get new tires or fix my car or I can do that versus some immediate pleasure? And that's how you are able to live. Yeah. Which is unusual. But that is the other piece of it, though, and that is a lifetime of frugality. A lifetime of frugality and relatively low wages has led me to this place where I have a savings account. And so, you know, I was one of those workers who compared to others for a very, very long time compared to others in my community, I was one of the lower wage workers. And, you know, I'm not going to claim to have been a minimum wage worker for a long time, but, you know, you're working for a nonprofit. It's a lot of scrape and sacrifice. And so the discipline it took to live below my means created a lot of these habits that now continue as my income has increased. I will say, though, that one of the things you said to me, and I kind of I want to punctuate this to make sure that it stands out in the listener. One thing you said to me was money up to a point is a tool. Like when you make money up to a point, certain income level Uh is a tool. And after that, it's an obligation to steward. 
And I have enough anxiety around income and money that I haven't gotten to the place where I'm stewarding it. Mm -hmm. I'm just saving it. Mm -hmm. And that's where your generosity is so beautiful and inspiring to be around because you donate to things that Steve you care I, about. Steve and I give, our goal is to give at least 10% of our pre-tax income away every year. And sometimes we get up to 15, but yeah. the 10% is the bottom and then the 15% of pre-tax. And that's the beauty of your philosophy about money. You know, me, I have anxiety around it. I don't want to give it away. I'm afraid to not have enough. But you also, you're generous with your time differently. Yeah. Like you'll give your time to lots of folks, and you have over the years given your time to tons of things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's an interest. But it's interesting that you have generosity around time but not as much around money because I'm flipped. Yeah. I have tons of generosity around money, not nearly as much as you have about time. Yeah. And you, because you have far less time. Well, I create that. It's interesting, but whatever. Right. But so, just, so when I am a woman who's making enough to have all of my basic needs met and I have a surplus I get to decide, am I going to hoard it? That's what, really mine should be money hoarder. Mm -hmm. Am I going to be vigilant about it? Am I going to be generous with it? Am I going to treat myself? Am I going to treat my family? Am I going to support those things that I value in the community? Am I going to invest it? Am I going to invest it? I'm going to risk it in the market or wherever to do that. Yeah. Right. And when we look at our peers and we wonder how is that person doing this thing? How do they have so much more than I do? Material goods? Why are they so nonchalant about picking up the tab? Why are they so miserly? Why do they want to, you know, break out the calculator every time the, you know, bill comes? Or go, like me, go to the bathroom when the bill comes. I'm just joking. <laughs> you do not. No, I don't do that. You know, it's back to this philosophy about money. And I want to be sure that, I mean, this is kind of the point of us talking about it, really is that we have this opportunity to do great things with our money, make sure that it's stewarded well, and make sure that we are cared for, but we are using it the way we want to use it. But it starts with understanding what our philosophy about that money is. I agree with you, but I also want, I did something years ago that I found very valuable. For a month, I kept track of every penny I spent. And that was before I did, oh, what's that budgeting, QuickBooks. And it was very informative for me to see where I spent my money. Because like I say, that tells me what I valued. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I really value a latte. And I realized, no, I don't really value a latte, so why am I doing that all the time? Yeah. And I realized I was just trying to treat myself when I was stressed or unhappy. And so I think that in conjunction with looking at your values, looking at what works for you and what doesn't, what are your assumptions, what tapes are playing in your head, look at your data. Mm -hmm. This is a way for you to exercise so much agency and control over your life. Don't feel controlled by money. It's this weird paper. That's all it is. You know, get control of it yourself and figure out how to use it as a tool to make your life better. Yeah, and thank you so much for being the inspiration for this conversation because I really do feel like I had an opportunity to really stretch and grow in 
evaluating or well, in evaluating myself, but also in just really thinking about this episode. And it's because of you, Kirsten. Thanks, Karina. You're just a rain- so glad. you're just a unicorn. I'm a money unicorn. Rain- rainbow with a pot of gold at the end. <laughs> a pot of gold at the end. Oh, thanks for helping me. Thanks for being here. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks for listening, folks out there. <laughs> Cha-ching. Well, that was fun. If you liked that episode, find us on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, take a look at our website at yougettowork.com. Thanks for listening. Kareen and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded at community-powered KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham, Washington, and streaming at kmre.org. And thanks to our sound engineer, Kevin Leja. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin.